You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome to the Golf Under Par Podcast, everybody. I'm Dr. Jeremy McCullough, the host, and I have a very special guest, Mike Carroll. You might recognize him from the Fit for Golf on Instagram or Twitter. Very large following on there. Uh, he also has a very popular blog, fitforgolf.blog, and also here more recently has been putting out podcasts for fit for golf podcast. So look for fit for golf and you're probably going to find Mike somewhere. Thank you very much for the nice introduction, Jeremy, and for asking me to come on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, we're super excited. And your information I, I see on social media regularly. And, you know, as a, as a physical therapist and a trainer, it, it helps me. So I think we got something very special for everybody to kind of learn a little bit more from you, Mike. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to be able to, to try and help people whenever possible. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that, that you've enjoyed some of the stuff I've been putting out. I spend a lot of time doing it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's nice if people can, can benefit from it, definitely. Awesome. So uh, I always start by asking everybody, how did you get into golf? Um, I started playing pitch and putt uh, on a course about... 15 minutes walk from my house when I was about nine or 10. And what was nice about that is it was, it was walking distance. So in the summers kind of when we know school, me and some of my buddies, you spend a lot of time up there and all those holes were maybe say like 30 to 70 yards long. And it was really cheap to play there. Um, after a couple of years of that, um, there was just kind of a natural gravitation to train golf. Like some of the guys I used to play pitch and putt with had started playing golf. Um, I'd done a few trips to the driving range and stuff like that. And I can remember for my 12th birthday, I got a half set of golf clubs. Um, and that summer I played a little bit of golf. And then the following Christmas, I got membership to one of the local golf courses. So I would have been about 12 and a half. And then kind of from from then really up until about 16 or 17 um, played a lot uh, of junior golf and then I got into the training side of stuff. My family was, was very interested in sports. Um, my older brother did exercise science uh, in university. He was four years ahead of me and as he was doing that, I was kind of learning some of the stuff that he was going through and started training myself a little bit and then knew kind of coming up towards the end of school that the PGA tour was not going to be where I was earning my money, unfortunately. So went to college and did exercise science. Uh, didn't actually play golf at all in college. I was, I was playing a lot of a sport called Gaelic football, which we play in Ireland. And then after college, got back into golf a little bit, started training some golfers and got really interested in it, started playing golf again and then 
stopped training athletes in other sports and went kind of full-time in golf. That was 2015. Yeah. 2015, 2016 was kind of when I started going really concentrating on golf. And that's been what I've been doing for the last four years, really. And in that time frame, late 2016, I moved to the U S from Ireland, uh, took a job with a place called Hanson fitness for golf, where I still work part-time and then do all of my fit for golf stuff, mainly online or else traveling to work with some players, going to tournaments and stuff like that. Right. Very cool. So with, with the cooler weather kind of coming in here for most of the, most of the, uh, the U S which is where most of the listeners come from. And obviously, curious about what you know what do you what do you where do you start with regards to creating an off-season program um honestly i think most people make their golf fitness stuff probably a little bit too complicated and try and be too cute with it i try and break it down for pretty much everybody uh, they're going to need to work a little bit on mobility a little bit of strength and a little bit of speed um, they're pretty broad concepts that can be broken down much further, but if you just concentrate on those as kind of your big three mobility, strength, speed, and then you just look at where your current fitness level is and where you'd like to get to, then you can kind of come up with the starting point and kind of any good program or any good trainer will have some pretty low intensity and easier variations for people who are a little bit more out of shape or haven't been training in a while, or maybe older populations to get started with. But then also for kind of people who are, you know, maybe intermediate fitness levels, they they do exercise, they do have home equipment or go to the gym, but want to get a little bit more serious. Um, and to be honest, the type of stuff that I think people needs to need to do is extremely similar. It's just the level they'll be doing it at is a little bit different, but the the kind of principles and concepts are the same. So for most golfers, like I think the general population, most of them are, yes, they're trying to improve their golf, but they also want to improve their general health and fitness. So I bet the vast majority of people, you know, who follow both of us or listening to this are slightly overweight. They don't exercise as much as they know they should, or they want to, their golf game is probably okay. They'd like it to be better. And I bet they have you know, plenty of room to improve in terms of distance and probably uh, if they improve their, their mobility, their swing mechanics will probably improve and they'll, they'll play better golf, both from a combination of being longer and actually swinging better. And they'll hopefully too be able to clear up some of the, the nagging injuries that they probably, you know, develop during the season. And kind of all of those things will be helped by improving those sort of big three concepts, mobility, strength, speed. Yeah. And so do you have any uh, like baselines for those things that you kind of like to see with, with regards to, you know, maybe mobility, strength or speed? Um, to be honest, not, not really. Like I know, I know screening and assessment is, is a big, is a big area. I honestly don't do that much of it anymore. Um, the reason being is that training sessions are also screens and assessments like you get a lot of information from watching somebody do their training session or from what I really like to use as an assessment, to be honest with you, is, is swing data. So like my favorite assessment as a strength and conditioning coach or a fitness trainer helping golfers is clubhead speed. 
like I, I don't really care if somebody's external shoulder rotation or internal hip rotation isn't where we'd like it to be. That can be for a whole number of reasons, but if somebody is improving at what they came to improve for, like that's, that's good progress for me. So speed is usually the first thing that I ask people, like what's your playing level now? What playing level would you like to get to? And when you ask them their club head speed, pretty quickly you can get a good idea of if they're going to be in, if they're in line to get there, there's obviously way more to it to speed. But if someone says, oh, I want to be a scratch handicap, what's your club head speed? 88 miles an hour. Like it's, it's probably not, it's probably, it's going to be extremely difficult, you know? Or if somebody says, I want to go, you know, and play college golf and they're swinging 105 miles an hour, you know, that's also going to be really tough, but they'll have no problem being a scratch probably. Um, but in terms of, the, the problem that I think we run into as soon as you go giving baselines for things like mobility, strength, and speed is that it's very easy for people to get caught up in then just training for hitting those baselines, as opposed to always working back to, am I actually improving at, at golf? And am I improving? Am I going in the direction I want? So I'm, I'm always a little bit careful of, of putting, of putting baselines on stuff, you know, like, simple ones like i think people should be able to squat so that their hips get below their knees while keeping their feet on the ground i think most people should be able to touch their toes i think people should be able to stand with their back against the wall and reach their arms up overhead keeping their elbows straight and touch their hands to the wall but there's going to be people especially if you start training them when they're older and they're already banged up from injury that are just never going to hit the mobility things that you'd like them to be able to do like i train tons of people who are in their 60s and 70s and our our skeleton is set and our skeleton also changes as we get older and there's certain mobility movements that are never going to improve because of how our skeleton is set that's what our structure is and we can waste an awful lot of time and, and potentially risk injury by trying to force mobility in these ranges that our body just isn't really designed for but that doesn't mean that we can't improve our fitness and we can't improve our strength we can't improve our power we can't improve our golf swing and it doesn't mean we can't improve our mobility it just means we need to be careful of chasing things that maybe you know aren't aren't really good for us and then simple ones for strength that i'd like to see is um i think everybody should be able to do like 15 split squats each side without losing their balance so just one foot forward one foot back drop down until the rear knee touches the floor, come back up 15 each side. If you can't do 15 of those each side, like that's a sign that you're, you're definitely, you know, missing out on some basic lower body mobility, stability, and strength. I think everybody should be able to do five to 10 good quality push-ups. you know, keeping a nice rigid sort of plank position going down and up under control. Um, I'd love for people to be able to do kind of one to three body weight pull-ups or chin-ups, but it's extremely rare. Pull-ups are one of my favorite pull-ups or chin-ups, like chin-ups being hands facing towards you and pull-ups being hands facing away are one of my favorite litmus tests for people. If you can do some pull-ups, you know that you're reasonably strong and you're not carrying a lot of body, a lot of body fat. If you can't do one pull-up, you're you either don't have much strength or muscle mass or you have a lot of body fat that's and like they're they're definitely tough and they're going to be much harder than the split squat or the or the push-up 
kind of baseline I gave, but there's something that I think are a really good idea for people to work towards. I'm not saying if you can't do one, you're in terrible shape, but it's like, if you took say a year, if you like, we're near, we're near, we're near the end of 2020. If someone said for 2021, my, and there's someone who's in reasonable shape and they're going to be training. Like I think spending time developing the ability to do chin-ups or pull-ups will help a lot of things because you have to get your body fat into a good category. You have to develop a lot of strength um, and also upper body pulling strength, like the lats um, are going to, are going to really help with, with uh, or sorry, improving strength and mobility in the lats is going to really help with, with club head speed and power too. So kind of combines a lot of things that will help people. But honestly, usually the, the thing that I've seen with training most is just get people consistent with doing good things in their training. So if you can get people doing 15 to 30 minutes, three times a week of structured training, I don't really care about an assessment or I definitely like to see them, see them tracking improvement. But if you can get somebody program that's at the right level for them, they're not going to hurt themselves and it gives them a chance to progress if you can keep people doing that for long periods, they're going to improve. And that's way more important than trying to figure out, do I have five degrees limited external hip rotation or ankle dorsiflexion? Like I try and concentrate on the bigger picture a lot more and always, always reverting back to the golf game stuff with golfers. So is your speed improving? Is your game improving? Can you feel a difference in, in how your body is when you're swinging and playing basically? Yeah, I, well, thank you for giving out some a few of the baselines that you kind of things that you look for because I feel like sometimes with some people they're like not sure you know what is what is a reasonable goal with strength wise and so that kind of gives you a hey maybe there's an aiming point if you can't do these things right to to kind of work towards it but like you said shouldn't be the end all be all it should be okay how does that correlate to what's going on on the course if that's your your goal yeah you play better and I think with the baseline stuff too like is that I know I presume most of your listeners are kind of like. 35 to 65 year old males probably busy with kids job and they're probably like eight to 18 handicaps i would guess um like most of those people you could without ever meeting any of them i know that most of them are probably slightly overweight don't do as much training as they should the ones who do some training are going to be better than the ones who don't do some training and we you can talk about baselines and starting points and stuff like that but what i would be trying to say to people is whatever your baseline is now, if you can commit to a consistent plan, it doesn't even need to be that hard and it doesn't need to be that long, but just try and get slightly better like each week and each month and roll that into a few years in a row. Like that's, that's how you get to really good levels of fitness. It's not about a six week package or, you know, a, a 12 week program. Like it, it needs to be very, very frequent and very, very consistent to see long-term gains. Like, Anyone I know who's exceptionally good at anything, especially something that requires, like that you can't just buy basically, like fitness, sports, they've put lots and lots and lots of time into it. Sometimes it doesn't even feel like they're getting better, but then all of a sudden three or 10 years passes and they've been sticking to the right things and they're markedly different. And the flip side of that, it's unfortunate, but it's fact is that unless you're, a child or a teenager we're all gradually getting worse in terms of fitness and function 
Um, like I'm only 29, so it's not like I'm in the, you know, the the big decline from age or anything. But like, I've also been, you know, really consistent with training for about 10 or 15 years. So I find it funny when people are like, oh, you know, my age or, you know, it gets hard at 30 or it gets hard at 40 or it gets hard at 50. Well, it depends. Yeah, it definitely gets hard at 50 if you haven't been consistently training for the last 30 years. But if you started training at 20 and you've been training for 30 years, it doesn't really get that hard at 50. You know, look at what Phil's doing on the PGA Tour. Uh, There's athletes in loads of other sports who stay reasonably competitive like not professionally, but from like a, a general function level, they're really good in their fifties. If you're someone who's now 50 or you're now 70 and you haven't been doing anything for 30 years or 50 years, yeah, obviously things are going to be tough because you haven't been doing anything. But if you can look at, okay, what about if I work for the next six months or 12 months or five years, how much can I improve? And the answer is, is lots. Like a really interesting case study with a client that I started working with about three years ago. He was in his early seventies. He was probably, he's probably five foot nine or 10. And he probably weighed 225, I would say. And he had a full hip replacement. So like, that's a, a pretty, you know, interesting uh, combination of things. And he was like, he's like a 24 handicap, but loves golf. It's like in his 70s, full hip replacement, overweight, kind of diabetic risk and stuff like that. But just got just got really consistent with showing up and doing his training. And for the last three years, he's been in the gym three days a week for an hour, started extremely basic with the things that I kind of lined out there, just split squats, push-ups, general things that are pretty easy. Um, and like three years later, He's down about 20 pounds. He's definitely gained some muscle too. Uh, just feels way better, way stronger. No issues with his hip. He carries the golf ball about 20 yards further, which he loves. And none of that was was complicated stuff, but it was just the case of somebody who decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to be consistent with this. And that was the hard part for him. Like the, the training is, yeah, it's challenging, but the showing up three times a week for for three years is, is where the improvement came from, you know, not from the fancy program or not from the assessment I was using or not from the new exercises I thought up of. It was the fact that he was putting in three hours a week for three years is, is how the improvements added up, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I have said this a hundred times probably on this podcast, but I always say simple consistency leads to greatness. And so it's that consistency doesn't have to be complex or anything you know you're doing the doing the right things regularly then that's what's going to kind of change the life and for for most of us you know you, you mentioned the typical listener probably is that a little bit overweight you know not as not doing as much training so even like little consistency with that the goal is what so you can keep playing into 70s and 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 whatnot with you know, the case study you were just talking about with your gentleman there so uh Let's move on. So with regards to training, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about some of the things baseline wise and, and where you kind of start and you have to have that kind of end goal in mind. What do you feel like are some things that most golfers need to make sure that they're including when they're, when they're looking to create as kind of a program for, you know, their golf improvement over the you know next few months yeah. or next few years? Yeah. So again, trying to keep it as simple as possible and stuff that people can remember. So 
I broke down the big three areas into mobility, strength, speed. And then I would generally break down. There's a couple of ways you can do this, but a simple way for people to remember it is break each of those down into lower body, trunk, upper body. And if you say somebody has like, if we just pick someone who's, who's very basic, let's say someone who's not really working out after this podcast, they're not going to join a gym and start working out for 45 minutes or an hour, three days a week, or gyms are closed where they live with COVID, but they might start doing some stuff at home. So if you just think of the mobility, strength, speed, so that's your big three, break each of those down into three, say further elements, lower body, trunk, upper body. And then let's think of a 30 minute training session. All right. So let's say after this podcast, people are thinking, all right, I can do 30 minutes of exercise. Like I can fit that into my day. Well, then what I would say is really simple way again to look at it is break 30 minutes down into three 10 minute segments. Segment one is mobility. And for 10 minutes, you're going to do dynamic mobility exercises where you're working on some lower body exercises, some trunk exercises, and some upper body exercises. So simple lower body ones might be things like you hold a golf club by your side and you imagine that you're say stepping your foot up onto a high wall. So you're bringing your leg around behind you up in front. So you're getting that kind of hip rotation, almost like a hurdle step, basically like you were pulling your foot behind and step it up on a high wall that you want to tie your shoelace on something like that. You could do some leg swings back and forth where you're getting your foot up in front of you as high as you can back behind you as much as possible. That could be some lower body dynamic mobility a trunk dynamic mobility, really simple one. You could stand in golf posture, put a golf club out in front of you and press it into the ground, keep your upper body where it is and try and rotate your pelvis as far as you can in each direction. So working on hip rotation, then you could do the opposite. You could try and get into golf posture, keep your hips where they are, turn your shoulders as much as possible or turn your chest as much as possible to get trunk. And then a simple upper body one would be, you could, uh, like that one we talked about a second ago, you could stand with your back to the wall. You could trade 20 reps, trying to get your arms over your head, get your hands to touch the wall without bending your elbows. So there's obviously loads of different things you could do. But if we check that off as box one, 10 minutes on mobility, covering lower trunk and upper. The nice thing about doing the mobility first, it also functions as our warm up. Then we could go into, we could go into some speed stuff, um, speed, it's definitely a little bit easier if you have some equipment and it's something that people who have, who aren't into training need to be a little bit careful with because they're going to be moving quickly. But two simple ones are you could get somebody doing some vertical jumps for lower body. So let's say someone just puts their hands on their hips, they squat down, jump up as high as they can and control the landing. That won't be for everyone if they have kind of knee or hip issues or something like that. But you could even just do a simple squat where you squat down and then power up as fast as you can a simple trunk one you could get people if they have any type of lightweight something about five to ten pounds even you can fill up uh, like a water container basically anything go on your knees up tall hold your hands out in front rotate your torso each way as hard as you can is that Uh, in front of you yeah exactly so kneeling kneel on your knees uh upright in a kneeling position put your hands out in front, holding some type of weight, rotate your chest back and forth as fast as you can for about eight to 10 reps each side. And then an upper body speed, when we could do is 
if you had some type of band, you could attach it to, you know, some sturdy support you have in your house. You could have the band behind you, hold it in one hand, walk it out so, so there's some tension and you could do some punches against the band as quickly as possible. Uh, something like that. Yeah. And then for, yeah, so that's, that would be, you know, you could do maybe like three circuits of the jumps, the kneeling rotations and the band punches. And then you've got your lower body, your trunk and your upper body speed work. And then for the strength work, it would be similar. You do something for the lower body. One that I really like for people to do at home is split squats. Uh, the reason why I like split squats at home, especially is if you've been training for any period of time at all, squats get pretty easy and you end up needing a lot of external weight to make them challenging. But if we go into split squat or one leg squat variations, all of a sudden now we've all our body weight on one limb primarily versus two. So you could do something like split squats, one foot out in front, one foot behind, drop down and up for eight to 10 reps and switch legs. If that's too easy, you can hold some weight or you could put your back foot up on, excuse me, like a sofa behind you or something like that. Um, there's a ton of different like of plank or, or bear crawl plank variations you can do for your trunk. Um, if you have some bands, you can do some band rotation work for the trunk upper body stuff. Or sorry for the trunk strength stuff. And then really simple ones for, for the upper body strength are different types of push-up variations. So if you want to, like you kind of want to have the rep range somewhere between about five and 10. If you can't do five to 10 push-ups, you know, standard style on the floor, put your hands uh, elevated up onto a tabletop or onto a sofa or something. So it's a little bit easier. If regular push-ups are simple for you, put your feet elevated onto a sofa or a kitchen chair or something like that, and that would make it much harder and go through kind of three circuits of that. And if you had something that simple three days a week, 10 minutes of your dynamic mobility stuff, get some lower body trunk and upper body, 10 minutes of speed stuff, some jumps, some rotation work, some punching or some pulling, uh, a very light resistance moving very quickly. Um, and then you can move on to your strength stuff where you get some split squat or squat type variation, some plank type or rotation against the band for the trunk, and then some type of push up for the upper body. And if you have other equipment, you could do pull ups or rows. There's tons of stuff you could do, but all of that stuff basically is with equipment that everybody will have around the house, just using furniture essentially. And yeah, like there's there's no real reason why you can't make really good progress doing that. You know, it's just a matter of of making yourself do it, really. Right. Yeah. And you know, sometimes that motivation is tough when when gyms are closed or um, or you don't have that access. But you know, there is there's lots of options, like you said, and those are, those are great options. So everybody, if you go back and listen to the, some of those options, and you pretty much have a decent program if you're just getting in getting started, uh, right there. So yeah. I've spent a little bit of time uh, this year in hotel rooms going to golf tournaments and gyms being closed and stuff like that. But in like 10 or 15 minutes, you can get a reasonably good workout in if you just force yourself to do it. Like even if you don't have 30 minutes, I know people are busy and stuff like that. Like you can do 10 minutes, like literally set a timer for 10 minutes, do, do five split squats each side and do five push-ups. go back and forth between the two of them as many times as you can in 10 minutes. Like you'd be amazed at how much work you get done in such a short period of time, no equipment needed. You could literally do it in a tiny space. And if you can just build that up consistently, 
it makes a huge difference. Um, even one that I try and get people to do to sort of build a habit is even less time again is literally just do one set of squats or split squats and one set of push-ups every time before they have a shower. And then that's done in one minute. You know, you're, you, you're going to shower every day or close to it um, or maybe even twice a day. And if you can do that, you know, you're at least building up something, but just finding a way to get people to start really. Um, and once people start, they tend to see the, the benefits and, and keep going, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so that's the big thing is, is, you know, getting started. And then once you get started, you start seeing the rewards and then it's not hard to continue going as much because then you're, then you're seeing it and you're like, Oh, wow, this is really helping. So awesome. Yeah, definitely. So with maybe regards to, as we get a little bit more advanced in the training and whatnot, do you tend to kind of go into like periodizations or phases with, with your programs? And so I generally tend to keep, so if, those, those three basic concepts that I gave there, the mobility, strength, and speed, they're really the same three concepts that I use with, with all levels of golfer, like right up to tournament professionals. And because, because golf is played for such long periods of the year, and we kind of need to be close to our peak for a lot of the year, I tend to keep all elements in the training program all the time but I might move the emphasis around a little bit. Um, so what I mean by that is in pretty much every training session that I've created for the last few years, I have people performing some sort of dynamic mobility warm-up. Then they do some speed or power work. The difference between speed and power, I kind of keep them in the same category. Speed work will be with say very lightweights or no weight moving as quickly as possible power work will be with slightly heavier weights moving as quickly as possible, but they're still much lighter than the type of weights you'd use for traditional strength work. Um, so they'll do some type of speed or power work, and then they'll move into their strength work. But let's just say if it's a PGA tour player and they're during a tournament week, well, then they're probably going to have a slightly bigger emphasis on the speed and power work and just do enough of the strength work to maintain or make sure they don't lose anything because this, the heavy strength work is definitely more fatiguing and requires more recovery than the lighter speed or power work. But then next week, if they're taking a week off, they might ramp up the strength work a little bit because they don't have to worry about tournament play. So it's the same program, but basically tweaking the amount they do of each element based on, on their, on their, week what's happening really um that's how i look into it if you're someone and the, the reason i do that is it doesn't really make sense to me if if you identify the things that you want to get better at so let if we're just saying mobility strength speed are the three big things we want to get better at for golf and if we look at a, a 52 week year or let's say a 12 month year it doesn't really make that much sense to me to have large parts of that year where you're not concentrating on one of the things you want to get better at. So some people say, I'm going to do six weeks strength and then six weeks speed. Well, what tends to happen then is, or what can happen unless you really know what you're doing is that you'll get really strong in your six weeks strength, which is great, but you won't be working on any speed. 
Then at the end of your six weeks of speed, you'll be getting really good at your speed, but you haven't done any strength work in six weeks. So you'll probably be getting weaker. So at the end of that 12 weeks, you could have spent six weeks getting really good at strength and then six weeks detraining strength. You'll have spent six weeks getting really strong, but not training any speed and then training speed. That can work really well if you time it perfectly and you only have, say, one or two events a year that you're trying to peak for. And where that type of periodization, where you, what well, it would generally be called block or linear periodization in the textbooks without confusing people too much, that worked really well and, do, and can work really well, but it, it it's primarily uh, became popular in track and field sports. Right. So, and those people have one big championships per year, like say a world championships, or they might have an Olympics once every four years. And if you know that that's what you're trying to peak for, it doesn't really matter if you're performing at only say 80% of your best the whole way through the year, if you time it perfectly and you nail it for that big tournament. But if we're playing golf every week, or if a professional is playing golf, you know, 25 weeks of the year, that doesn't really work. It's, it's too hard to jumble all the pieces together. I think it's much easier to just try and incrementally bring everything up at the same time. And then depending on the week you're in and what's going on or the equipment you have or how much time you have, you can basically put emphasis on one over the other. If you're somewhere where you're going into like a real six month off season, which some amateurs are, no, no pros are, then you can definitely look into like changing the type of training you're doing. So again, it really, really depends on, like how serious the person is with their training. If it's a beginner, like periodization is not a word that they need to think about. They need to be going back to what I explained, like the the 10 minutes, uh, the three 10 minute segments for their 30 minute workouts. Like just do that for a couple of years before you, you worry about anything. If you're someone who's into training and you're saying, all right, I'm a eight handicap. I want to get to scratch in the next two or three years. And I need to gain 15 miles per hour of club head speed to give me a chance to do that well then you can look into all right there's no competitive golf for six months you can put way more emphasis into getting much bigger much stronger much more powerful and essentially upgrading your your physical qualities like really changing the type of power and horsepower that you have because you don't need to worry about being sore or stiff for competitions on the weekend or even just you know games with your buddies it doesn't really matter if you're a little bit stiff and sore for your range sessions because you have loads of time to dial that back in while you're you know, preparing for the season. I'd still never completely drop out of, of hitting balls and, and working on golf stuff, but your priority might be getting bigger and stronger and more powerful and you're just keeping going with the golf. Whereas in season for those people, the golf is going to be their priority and they'll just be staying on top of the fitness stuff and there's no real way to fully max trying to improve physical qualities and simultaneously trying to maximize your golf. You just can't do it. Um, and everybody just can make that decision themselves based on the time of year and what's more important to them. Like if your main priority with your limited time is say golf, during the summer you cannot train as hard or do as much as you would in 
a six month off season in somewhere like it's really cold. I don't know, like, you know, Minnesota or Chicago or something like this, but that's, that's basically it, you know? And if you're somewhere, if you live somewhere where it's like, I, I live where there's golf 12 months a year, I'm in Southern California and it's up to people what they want to do. You can kind of keep going with what I was saying earlier about just staying on top and trying to incrementally increase all the things all year round, just gradually stepwise improvement. That works great. Or you might say November, December, January is my off season as such. It's not that you have to stop playing golf, but you might say golf isn't my priority for these three months. I'm going to use this time to try and upgrade. And then you can go into your playing season and that's where you're basically trying to realize the stuff that you've spent time building up. So I would, I would almost term it, say you have, you have upgrades where you're spending time really trying to develop stuff. And then you also have time, what I call say calibration, where you're trying to dial things in and get, and get, you know, your, your skill, your skill stuff done. And that's the way it is for, for basically everybody, I think. Yeah. I like, I like that term upgrades. Cause I mean, like you said, you know, it's trying to, if you focus on one thing, that's what you're going to be focused on. And so then other things may, may kind of slip by the side, but you can really focus on, I, I need to upgrade, you know, my physical ability. Maybe it's the mobility when you're at, for some of these beginners or whatever, um, you know, the typical mid, yeah. middle aged man needs, needs a lot more mobility than, than a 14 year old junior golfer. Does. Exactly. And one thing too, that's important to remember there for people is that, the amount of emphasis that you need to put on something to maintain it is extremely, extremely small. Like once you've trained something and you've built to a certain level, maintaining is easy. It takes very, very little work compared to getting there in the first place. So where I'm going with that is if you decide that you're going to put a lot of emphasis into one element of your training or physical upgrades versus golf practice i would definitely advise try not to let anything else get worse in the meantime because what you always want to be doing is essentially not going backwards so if you can keep something at maintenance while you're improving something else it means when you go back to that and you want to then improve it you're not starting from a way lower point and that might require, you know, a little bit of thinking and, and planning. And this is definitely getting into the more advanced stuff for people who are already kind of, you know, pretty on top of their, their basics and their consistency. But for like one thing, like a perfect example is like probably what, probably what might say biggest, um, I don't know, selling point or what people ask me most questions about is club head speed. Like I get questions every day by email, by just, a perfect one, for example, is someone says to me, I'm 45. My club head speed is hundred miles an hour. I have a five month off season. I'd like to get it to 110. I'm planning on following like these, these programs for the next six months. What do you think? And the first thing I say is like, what, what days are you hitting golf balls? And they were like, Oh, I, I was just going to, I was just going to concentrate on the working out stuff. And like the issue you run into there is you can get way stronger, way more powerful, but if you're not swinging a golf club for six months, like when you go back to swing the golf club, you're okay. You're way stronger and more powerful, but you've also stopped practicing the movement of swinging a golf club for the last six months. So there's, it's going to take time 
for you to first of all get back to to swinging what it feels like even loosen out and get back into the motion build back up your coordination and then it's going to take even more time for the strength you've just developed to filter back into your swing whereas that person if literally they hit golf balls once a week for 15 minutes they wouldn't have that issue and if they hit golf balls two or three times a week for 15 minutes the improvements they'd get from the really hard physical training work they're putting in would be probably doubled in terms of club head speed, you know, and just trying to get a balance on things like that. It's like, if you're, you know, if you're working on your short game and you forget to practice driver for a month, you go to the golf course, you make some great up and downs, but you also hit three balls into really poor areas off the tee. So your score hasn't changed at all. You improved one area that you focused on, but because you completely neglected another area, your scores didn't change. It was just how you, how you made it up changed. So always trying to think of never letting a baseline drop lower while you're trying to focus on improving something else is what I would say is, is really important. Yeah. Yeah. So here we'll wrap up kind of our, our big discussion. We'll get into some of our wrap up questions, but before we do that, uh, I want to start, you know, you mentioned swing speed, you had a ton of questions about this. And uh, so, you know, what are some of the top recommendations you give to people with regards to gaining more, more speed? So, Without, without sounding like a, or pretending to be a golf instructor, um, there's, there's three, three primary things that we need to, again, three primary things we need to think about for speed. One is, is swing technique. Like, obviously, it doesn't matter how strong or how powerful or how flexible you are. If you have terrible mechanics, like, you're, you're not going to produce high swing speed. The second one is equipment. If your equipment is completely ill-suited to you, you're leaving loads of club head speed in the tank. If you give, let's just say, a weaker player, a weaker, smaller, lighter player, the driver that a really, really strong, powerful tour player is using compared to something that was fitted for them with a much lighter, whippier shaft, speed's going to be remarkably different. So equipment has to be optimized. And then number three is physical. So technique, equipment, physical. Technique is simple things. One, make your backswing faster. Faster backswings will lead to faster downswings. There's something called the stretch shortening cycle in muscles and tendons. How quickly muscles are stretched before they contract makes a big difference in how much speed they can produce. In the golf swing, our stretch phase, we have two, two main ones. We have the backswing where we get some stretch and then in good players, there's the transition where there's more stretch. If you can force yourself to get used to a faster and faster takeaway, I guarantee you'll have more speed. That can take a little bit of time to get used to, and people might you know, miss the center a few times. But if you have some sort of radar or measuring device where you can look at that, if you can force yourself to start taking it back faster, watch the speed go up. A really good drill for that is do some practice swings where you start with the head of the golf club about two or three feet towards the target past the ball compared to you normally would. So basically your takeaway is starting from closer to the target. So you have a longer takeaway and start pulling it back from there. You'll notice that as your backswing gets way faster, it's much harder to absorb the force at the top and change direction and transition. And what that is, is your muscles and tendons getting loaded up with more potential on the way down. So as you practice that and get more powerful at it, guaranteed for nearly everybody, speed goes up, happens all the time. 
most amateurs swing back. So obviously pros swing it faster than amateurs. But if we just think about uh, relatively in terms of their tempo, I'm not saying their club head speed at impact. Amateurs compared to pros have way slower backswings versus downswings. So pros don't just uh, have faster swings. Their tempo from backswing to downswing is faster. So pros are generally, their backswing takes a three to one ratio. So it takes them about 0.75 seconds on the way back and about 0.25 seconds on the way down. So three is to one. Amateurs are often four or five. They're way too slow on the way back to have any speed on the way down. The second big uh, one for technique is longer backswings. So allow yourself, get a much bigger turn, allow your left heel rise. Think about your hands or the grip of the club traveling as far back as you can in the backswing. The reason for that is it gives us more time to produce force in the downswing. If I got you to make a, a pitch shot type swing where you just bring your, say, hands back to your uh, right pocket or say your pocket on your tray leg and then told you to generate as much speed as possible, you can't do it reason is you've no leverage and there's no time so if we can get a big long high backswing and we can make it nice and quick you're in you're in a position to make really really big speed improvements um absolute game changer for a lot of people get a radar use it on the range when you're hitting balls the last say 10 balls of each practice session hit them as hard as you can note your speeds track it in an excel sheet or notes on your phone or something watch the changes in terms of physical training, um, honestly, it sounds like I'm just repeating myself, but go back to those big three things, mobility, strength, speed. So you can get most of your, if you're practicing swinging golf clubs as fast as you can regularly, that kind of covers your speed work. You don't need to do as much of it in the gym. So then con or in your home training. So concentrate on getting more mobility, which is going to really help with the longer backswing and then concentrate on getting basically stronger with with some weight or some strength training your your split squats your push-ups your everything like that and if you can gradually improve those things and check your equipment um you're you're in a good spot equipment's a really important one that people don't max out at all especially if your speed is changing you want to make sure that your equipment still fits you because the faster that you start swing, like if, if you have some, if you're someone with a relatively low swing speed, you are probably fit into say a driver with a quite a soft light shaft and quite a lot of loft on the face. And then if you increase your swing speed by five or eight miles an hour over the winter, that same driver will not be anywhere near optimal for you. When you go back swinging it with that new speed, uh, you'll be, you'll, you'll need something different. Um, and the, the problem for that is, is not that the speed will be down. It's just that speed won't convert into distance when you're striking the ball. There'll probably be way too high launch, way too high spin um, and stuff like that. So, so check the equipment, but that's, that's kind of what I would say. Awesome. Well, so now I've got a handful of questions that I always ask everybody. First is what's your favorite yeah. golf memory? Um, favorite golf memory is, from this summer, probably, uh, for the first time ever, I broke 70. I shot 68. Um, awesome. I'd only shot under par twice ever before. Once was about 12 years ago when I was 16. Uh, and once was earlier in the summer. But both of them were one under. Uh, and shooting four under this summer was was pretty cool. It was one of those days where 
I hit 16 greens in regulation, had the easiest day ever and walking up the, I, I can remember walking up the 18th uh, fairway with one of my buddies and I play every week. And he was just like, Mike, you're playing, you're playing really well. Like what's that put for? I just said five under. <laughs> and it was, it was great. Yeah. Like I, uh, I put a lot of practice in and yeah, it was just, just a, a first basically. Like it was, it was cool. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. What is your favorite exercise or drill to improve your personal game? Say that again. What's your favorite exercise or drill to improve your personal game? Um, get some either foot spray or strike spray and spray the face of your clubs when you're practicing and get a feel for where your ball, where you're making impact with the ball on the face of your club. This is especially good with the driver. If you hit 10 balls with your driver, take a look at the face. You'll be amazed at how erratic the strike point is. And that strike point has an enormous difference on your, your distance, your accuracy. Um, Andrew Rice is a golf coach um, who has a really good article on this, talking about how where on the face the ball makes contact, changes your flight and distance and accuracy. It's really good. Uh, I do that every, every range session that I'm hitting driver, I have the face sprayed and I get feedback on, on where it's hitting the face. And I'm a reasonably low handicap. And I'm still so erratic with, with where the ball hits on the face. If you're, you know, a double digit or, or higher handicap and without thinking anything swing wise, if you can start bringing that ball back towards the center, just makes a huge difference. Yeah. What is one takeaway you want listeners to apply from today's conversation? Patience and consistency. Like there's, there's nothing magic about getting in really good shape or getting really healthy you have to do it and you have to get into the habit. And that's what it is a habit of doing it when you don't really feel like it, you can't just rely on motivation Um, no amount of reasoning in your head or are making excuses to yourself provides the same benefits as actually just doing the workout. Um, so I would say you need to prioritize it. It needs to have a place in your schedule the same way that your work meetings do or that going to the grocery store does or whatever else you do does. If you say you don't have time, like that's fine, but then be, be wary of the consequences, basically, you know, like don't, don't expect to make, to make any changes. Um, and I would say there's a enormous difference between doing a little bit versus doing nothing. Like people sometimes get stuck in the all or nothing mindset where they feel like that if they don't have time to drive to the gym and do an hour workout, there's no point. Whereas there's infinite amount of five and 10 minute routines that you can do at home with basically no equipment. And if all you did was one of those daily, you'd be in better shape than, than 95% of the population. Probably there's, um, there's a really good book by an author called James clear. It's called atomic habits. And he talks about some of that stuff. Um, just things like, yeah, I won't ruin it for people, but if anyone's interested in basically kind of setting up like systems and and ways of getting more consistent versus relying on, you know, oh yeah, maybe sitting on the couch, maybe I'll drive to the gym and work my ass off for an hour now. Like it's not going to happen. You know, it, it needs to be tomorrow at whatever time is my gym routine. Like I will be there. That's, or if that's not something that suits you, it needs to be tomorrow 
after I wake up for 10 minutes, I'm going to do these three exercises. Like that's also fine, but it's just not a case of, it can't be a case of, I want to get in better shape. And then a month later, I should probably think about getting in better shape. You know what I mean? You need to start doing something and building the consistency basically. Yeah. Start now. That's the biggest thing, right? Yeah. And all right. Last thing is who would you recommend we get on the podcast? Ooh, that is a good question. Do you, who do you bring on? Is it just kind of fitness guys or do you bring on golf instructors or get anybody that's going to make us play better golf? Um, I recommend a friend of mine that is a really good golf instructor. His name is Davey Barry. Uh, he's based in Ireland, but he does re- speaks really well in podcasts, excellent coach and like really understands how to help people get better while keeping it really simple. Like not even, even if it's stuff, you know, he doesn't need to see their swings, just simple concepts, kind of like the face spray thing I talked about there, like stuff that everybody can do. And if you practice it kind of regardless of, of what your swing is like or what level of golfer you are, you, you will get better from doing it because it's just, it's just concentrating on, on good information. Basically you're, you're working with the correct concepts. So any time you spent is, is well spent. Awesome. Well, that's it for this episode um, of the golf under power podcast. Before we, we wrap up here, tell us how we can follow you and support you, Mike. Um, so fitforgolf.blog, F-I-T-F-O-R, uh, golf.blog is my website. I've a lot of articles and stuff up on there. And then Twitter and Instagram is fit underscore for underscore golf. Um, and yeah, people can find me there if they want to get in touch, send a message on there. Or if they go to the website, there's a contact form where they can send an email. And yeah, i happy to answer questions that anyone has all right well we'll have all of mike's information in the show notes so you guys can check the, that stuff out and thank you so much mike for coming on and thank you listeners for listening thanks a lot jeremy i appreciate it thank you guys for listening to this episode hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go if you found it helpful please share with a friend and leave us a review on itunes this allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource, Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.